0: On this episode of, I uh, bit my tongue.
1: Oh, <laughs> I hate it when I do that.
0: On this episode of Take This Down, I sit down with Miss Dia Berry Mitchell, author, food critic, historian, and we have an interesting conversation that's not only touching to me, but also touches my belly. Oh. So you're not gonna wanna miss this episode. <laughs> thank you for joining me on Take This Down. It's truly an honor to have you here today to have this conversation. Thank uh, you. My mouth is already watering because I know <laughs> we're going to be talking about food, I hope, and it's nope, always not saluted. today.
1: <laughs> Just kidding.
0: So, you know, I always like to start off by telling my guests why I invited them on. You mm-hmm. know, you and I connected through mm-hmm. Fort Worth many mm-hmm. years ago. We won't say how long or yeah. things like that. But, you know, are you familiar with the Dos Equis commercial, the most interested man in the world? I am. <laughs> you to me are the most interesting woman in the world for the Thank different you. adventures. that you know, from your travels mm-hmm. to you know the tours and historian, yeah. but how you preserve culture. Thank you. And it's just something I just wanted to have the conversation. What you know. To what inspired your passion. Yeah. and what, and So that's why you're here today. That's very and kind. I want my audience to know she didn't come with food, which <laughs> is kind of disheartening. But nevertheless, we're going to continue with the show.
1: I took the train over <laughs> here, so I didn't want to be getting jumped I'm on teasing. the train, bringing food, you know.
0: I'm teasing. So, you know, let's kind of get into it. So who is Dia Barry Mitchell at her
1: core? Um, well, first, I have to say thank you again for having me. I'm very honored this coming from the... Was it Legend in the Making Award? (laughs) So I'm like, I can't say no to this guy. Um, But no, I'm really excited to be here. But who am I? Uh, Dia Dia is a lover of all things culture. Um, I know for the most part, I speak um, often in the communities about Black culture, but I travel a lot internationally and domestically, and I love any sort of culture, um, so I just love researching um, and finding out things as as most as best as I can about different cultures, different cities and communities. Um, I love people.
0: You know, you, you talk a lot about you know you're enjoying culture, all culture.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But you're from Sherman, Texas. I'm
1: from Sherman. You did your research,
0: And so I- yeah. I hope it <laughs> makes sense. Wait a minute. <laughs> Hold up. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, you know, t- talk about you know growing up yeah. in, in Sherman, Texas. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, you raise a very valid point. So, growing up in Sherman, I usually I do a lot of public speaking, and when I'm giving these presentations to people, I often go back and I tell them about how I got my start. And there's one PowerPoint slide that I reserve to kind of encapsulate my background, and that photo that I show on that slide is one of uh, the museum that's in Sherman and also uh, the public library. So I spent a great deal of my youth at both. And I often joke that when my mother, I grew up with my mother and my grandmother primarily. And I often joke that when uh, she would take me to the museums, it's Sherman. We had one museum and we usually had like three rotating exhibit. nothing changed. So I was seeing the same stuff <laughs> over and over and over again. But it still helped me kind of develop my love for history and um, my passion for that. Just seeing my mother and how much she was devoted very deeply to uh, familial history and things of that nature. So that's where I got that kind of curiosity to learn more and to research from, I, I like to think anyway.
0: Gotcha. And so you said you grew up with your mom and your grandmother, mm-hmm. you know, what did they instill in you? They that...
1: So I had a very, uh, pretty much probably a hybrid. Um, yeah, I would say probably more of a hybrid kind of background, uh, not all the way traditional, but somewhat contemporary. Um, so, my grandmother is from East Texas. She's from Crockett, Texas. Very familiar. With very familiar. Okay. All my family's in Tyler. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> great. So, yeah, we went, I would spend summers in Crockett with my grandmother's side of the family. And uh, she raised me admiring all things like country, whether it be food or just anything like that, making everything from scratch, homemade. That was her. Whereas my mother, Back in the day, I like to think she was really ahead of her time. So when I was little, and I won't say how old I am right now, but when I was little, yeah, I'm 22 and a half. Um, But when I was a little girl, um, my mom was so ahead of her time. She would do things like um, ask me to create the menu of what I wanted to eat. So she was she would really give me. The agency at a very young age to draw, you know, uh, craft up whatever I wanted to eat for the day, help her design the menus for the week. And then occasionally we would have Italian themed nights and she would do all things Italian. And so I kind of had a combination of those two, which uh, led towards my passions today.
0: Gotcha. gotcha. So you knew very early on exactly what you wanted to do, how you was going to get there, what uh, the you was going to take.
1: Absolutely not. Yeah. <laughs> I knew that I loved to eat and I loved food, but uh, most people are surprised to hear this. I did not grow up cooking. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how to cook. Like I would burn rice. Um, I was horrible. I mean, well, cooking rice is kind of hard. It is kind of hard, right? Um, but... I was not necessarily a good cook, and it wasn't because I was not able to, it's because I didn't have the opportunity. Uh, My grandmother cooked all the time. My cousins had restaurants in Sherman, Uh, I worked for them. So there was really not an opportunity for me to kind of get those sea legs, so to speak. But it wasn't until I moved to Houston and uh, my roommate at the time, Jackie, um, her family is from the Dominican Republic. And she used to cook all the time. And I was so inspired by her love of food and the things that she would create and how different they were than the foods that I had grown up with. Because as you mentioned, coming from Sherman, I won't say that there is no culture. I can appreciate it now. It has its own very niche culture. But I wasn't exposed to a lot of international culture. And so moving to Houston really opened my eyes to that. And my roommate, Jackie, um, as I mentioned, loved to cook. Her mom was a chef and she started cooking and I kind of started watching her in the kitchen. And um, yeah, that's where I got my start. And then after that, if you want me to jump ahead. go ahead, go ahead. So after that, I kind of got my love of cooking. Um, All the time and experimenting with different recipes and combining and drawing from foods from uh, my past with her foods and kind of uh, commingling those in a sense. And that's where I love to do that. Um, Fast forward a few years later, I ended up moving back to the uh, North Texas area. And after I did that, I was um, laid off from a job from SMU and I've been at SMU for years And when I got laid off, I didn't know what I was gonna do, but I was cooking all the time still. And someone had suggested I start doing cooking classes. And I was like, I didn't go to culinary (laughs) school. I can't, what am I gonna do cooking classes for? But um, the truth is I had learned an awful lot about cooking. I I read a lot about it just for my own um, kind of edification. And then after that, I thought, you know what? What the heck? So I started doing, hosting these like cooking dinner parties, I guess you would say, teaching people that way. And then shortly after that, um, I created a portfolio of really nice photos of food, took them to uh, Williams-Sonoma and like pitched myself. And they hired me on the spot and I started cooking classes. Oh, wow. So when I started those cooking classes, I was so... Um, I wouldn't say embarrassed, but I knew that I didn't have the the culinary school background. And I was nervous about that because here I am teaching people and I thought, what am I gonna do if they ask me a question and I don't know? So that's when I began reading everything I could get my hands on about food, which is what prompted my uh, desire to uh, learn about food history. And so once I started doing the cooking classes, I really tried to overcompensate from my lack of uh, of a foundation from culinary arts school. And um, I just read everything I could get my hands on. And that's where, again, the love of food history came from.
0: Gotcha. You know, a lot of times, you know, you hear people say, you know, when you're. When you're chasing your passion, mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, there's a lot of setbacks, a yeah. lot of failures, a lot of disappointments.
1: Absolutely. You know,
0: were you anomaly and it was all just went exactly how you planned?
1: I wish. No, I had a lot of twists and turns and curveballs thrown my way, just like everybody else. Um, and along the way, it just started to feel really natural. So even with my losing different jobs and like kind of pulling myself up, um, and figure it out what it was I wanted to do. Um I have a bus tour as you mentioned. So the tour is called Soul of D F W.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> and so
1: with the tour even, uh, I had to like literally beg people to get on the tours in the beginning because I had a vision for it, but it wasn't necessarily catching on at the moment. That was I thought it would be a setback, but I just I kept after it and eventually it caught on.
0: You know, it was- would you, is it is it fair to say, you know, like the passion for cooking mm-hmm. and like the culture of history it's kind of like an artist? Yeah. And so, uh-huh. and where I'm going with that is, you know, when you hear the, the, the term starving artist. It's not mm-hmm. necessarily, mm-hmm. you know, there's a component of, because you can't find work, but also mm-hmm. the work that you want isn't yeah. necessarily, do you find, did you ever experience like, you know, just not being able to be connected with where you at or your place of employment was because Mm -hmm. it wasn't your passion?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think a number of times I can probably pinpoint that it was my I felt like it was my passion at the moment. But very quickly after I realized, you know, whoa, this isn't I'm not a good fit for this because my heart is somewhere else. Um, And so I think I probably have experienced that maybe even more so than a lot of people. But once you Find your passion and you get out there and you start to live it. It's just it's absolutely the the greatest feeling in the world. So that's I just wish I could bottle this up and give it give it to everybody. But it's funny you should say that about um, labeling yourself as an artist or, you know, people labeling themselves an art, as artists when they're in fields like this. Um, that's usually what I tell people to kind of give it tie it up and give it like a. a kind of tight name and something that's easy to remember. I usually tell people, I I feel like I'm an artist, a a creator, because I have my hand in so many things. Um, And again, it makes sense to me because I have one mission, one purpose. But because I have so many different services and so many different avenues that I use to funnel all that energy through, um, I realize sometimes I've Probably an
0: artist at the heart. No, I, I would wholeheartedly think it's an art yes. because you know the the creativity or just the creations, mm-hmm. whether it's you know your bus tour mm-hmm. or we're going to talk a little bit about your the collard greens and stuff. Yeah, yes. uh, and we're going to talk about that. But it, it's truly an art, and it I'm always jealous because I'm not an artist at all. <laughs> you know, I say I'm more of a visionary, but I'm not. A, you know, yeah. I can't, do all the artistic Mm -hmm. things, if you will. But, you know, let's talk a little bit about your bus tour. Mm -hmm. Uh, How did that come about?
1: Oh, so I was actually, I mentioned I love travel. Um, I was traveling at the end of 2017. um, And honestly, I had just come off the heels of an event that I had produced. It was a a brunch festival. So talk about bombs. That (laughs) one... was not a hit because at the time, people were not really celebrating brunch culture like they do now. In Texas, but
0: if you go to to DC. Then they were, yeah, (laughs) Yeah. definitely.
1: But here in North Texas, um, I wanted to do something to celebrate it because I did see like this rise in everybody talking about brunch. So anyway, long story short, I did that. Was not very successful. And so I really took some time to think. Uh, one, I need to go on a vacation, clear my head, because it was near the end of the year, and that's normally when I travel. And so, before I did that, I was very, very intentional about knowing that I wanted to live my passion and knowing that I love brunch, I love food, but I don't think that was really the um, the event for me. And so, I really wanted to take a moment to kind of figure out what type of event. Would be me on a plate, so to speak. Um, So I went on vacation. This particular time, I couldn't decide if I wanted to do a history tour or a food tour because I always do some kind of tour when I go to different places. And I don't remember where I was, but I couldn't make up my mind. And so I thought, "Man, man, that's a good idea. Maybe I should, maybe there are other people like me who love food. But they also love history. And, you know, the two are so related, which is why I call my tours cultural immersion tours, because uh, while we focus on food and history, at some point I may incorporate art or music or different things like that. Um, So really, that was like the beginning of the idea. I came back in 20 in January 2018 and I just started planning it. And then I started the tours. Um, at the end of January. And here we are today. Yeah.
0: I, I would be remiss if I don't give you opportunity to plug the title of your tour and how people can sign up and get Thank ready. you. So make sure you look in that camera and okay. you give them
1: all that information. So you can find our tours at soulofdfw.com. And uh, we are not touring as frequently as I used to because I'm now a Ph.D. student. Um, and so that's taking the majority of my focus away from my baby, which is the bus tour. Uh, but we do have a couple of more tours coming up towards the end of the year, uh, a Fort Worth black uh, cowboy culture tour that I'm excited about. Hopefully you can join me, you and Jordan. And then also a Caribbean history tour that I, I loved. It was a smash last year. So I'm hoping to do that again. Gotcha,
0: gotcha. Well, in addition to the tour and, you know, the culture, you're also an author.
1: Yeah, yes, I am. I should have brought you a copy. <laughs> so, I'll send it. Yes. Okay, I'm
0: going to hold you to it. Yeah. Andrew, you're listening. Yeah. Make sure we get the copy. <laughs> a signed
1: copy. Assigned copy, of course. So
0: tell me a little bit, well, first, the title of the book for for our audience, but how did that come about?
1: It's called Cornbread and Collard Greens, How West African Cuisine and Slavery Influence Soul Food. And uh, yeah, I loved writing this book. It actually came about because I was completing my master's degree at SMU, and I had this thesis laying around that, honestly, I hadn't done anything with. I had a friend of mine call me up, and um, he said, hey... I'm trying to get into food photography. Um, I know you cook a lot. Do you want to? Do you want me to shoot some pictures and stuff for you? And that's how it came about. I didn't want him to just be shooting pictures, and I didn't have anywhere to put them. And so I thought, you know what? What if I use this thesis that I had written about the like a, a really elementary. Uh, beginning version of soul food history. What if I take this paper and marry it with his photos and his images and kind of tell the history and through stories, not only through uh, researched stories, but also through my family history. So I have a combination of familial history in there, uh, nice anecdotes from my family like my family is a trip they are super funny and so i share stories about growing up in sherman with my mom um, also my dad and his background my father's from Japan from kobe japan and so i, I have a little bit of influences from not only my background um, but i've traveled to Japan a few times and so i like to um, incorporate some rest some recipes in there that are kind of both of those together. And then at the end of the day, I hope people walk away after reading the book with feeling like they're knowing a little bit more about soul food.
0: So what does soul food mean to you? Because, you know, yeah. people say soul food. Oh, that's just high blood pressure food or <laughs> or, you know, that that's slave food mm-hmm. or that's country food. But yeah. But at its core, you've done the research. Yeah. What is soul food?
1: So at its core, soul food is a food that was created at the hands of enslaved black people. Um, And so they did this by using not only the resources they had available to them. So sure, some of them may have been rationed, uh, what people like to call scraps. Uh, Some of them were also foods that they were growing. You know, so back in the day, uh, people ate a lot more, not just enslaved people, but people in general ate a lot more seasonal foods. There was no refrigeration at the time. And so you really had to cook and prepare what was from the land. And then the cases of enslaved people... They took the foods that they had available to them and they created these really beautiful meals that sometimes were inspired or um, uh, kind of borrowed from other cultures. But at the heart of it, the majority of those uh, men and women who were cooking in those kitchens at the time, um, that was a service that would have been performed by enslaved black people. And so it's something that they created. The term, however, of like soul food, um, did not come into play until the 60s and the 70s with the rise of uh, soul music, you know, this kind of labeling of uh, soul, using that as a identifier. And so that's when people began calling those foods that were commonly prepared in the South uh, soul food. And then through the Great Migration, they began spreading to all these different parts of the country. You know, obviously, we know that soul food itself is prepared today by a number of people, but that's how it's got its uh, its origins.
0: For the listeners and viewers out there, this is your history lesson yeah. on soul food. <laughs> it's not just something, but there's stories behind everything.
1: Definitely, and I also share that it's different from Southern food, um, and so the two are often kind of said that they're the same thing, but they're different, they can sometimes overlap. So for example, with Southern food, let's just say here in Texas, um, we have a huge background uh, of Mexican influences, of German influences, German and Czech influences in Texas. And so I always like to say a lot of our Southern foods, um, like chicken fried steak, which I love is one of my favorite foods ever. Uh, that's like a German, that's like a German influence, you know, but it's a Southern food, it's not a soul food. And so I usually like to point out the differences, which I always write about also in uh, my column with the Fort Worth Report.
0: So talk a little bit, you know, I'll go ahead and give you that plug, the Fort Worth, because you have your your hands in so many different things. Yeah. And so um, how did that come about?
1: Oh, wow. So I met with Chris Cobbler, And um, by way of a a really amazing writer who I I respect, her name is Laura, and uh, she's really phenomenal. She introduced me to um, Chris Cobbler, who is over the Fort Worth Report. We met and uh, he asked me if I'd like to do something in in the field of writing for the paper at that time. They didn't have anyone who was designated to just write about food and I jumped at it. I thought it would be an excellent opportunity. So I am, uh, have a contract position with them, I'm a freelance, I should say, position. And I have a weekly column that's called The Dish with Dia. And I write about all things food. So sometimes I do reviews. Uh, sometimes I write about uh, food recipes. And then I always usually try to include something about history since that's my brand.
0: If you ever need an extension, because I always hear that food critics get yeah. free food. Yeah. If you need, you know, an intern yeah. or, you know, or something like let me know. You know, I I'll I keep food. that in mind. <laughs>
1: but I actually don't usually accept uh, a lot of free invitations and that's because then I feel obligated to like give a a review and I don't give reviews on everyone I only give reviews about the places that I've enjoyed and like sometimes I'll be honest with you I don't enjoy everything and so when I do I don't want to be rude because I know um, that's something that's very subjective Uh, taste is you know what I like you may you might not like and vice versa. So I normally just don't talk about those things at all. I only give props to those who I feel like are just really killing it. So
0: That's fair. It's like, you know, we've talked a lot about, you know, your your culture and your love for food, Mm -hmm. but where did the writing come into? I know you're author and now you have the the weekly article, but like, where did Mm -hmm. that come into the mix?
1: I've always been a writer. Like, even I can remember being probably six or seven and uh, or maybe even younger than that. And my mom uh, had created this journal for me because she saw that I loved to write. I started writing at a very young, like unusually young age. I think I was about three. And um, I loved to like scribble and write. And I don't know if anybody understood me, (laughs) but I loved to write. But uh, she really encouraged me to do more writing. And so when I was really young, she created this, I'll never forget, this wire bound kind of uh, book for me. And she inscribed it on the inside and she said, write a bestseller one day. And I would just write, 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 write my heart out. And uh, so, yeah, I've always loved writing. I started off writing poetry a lot. And then from there, it it kind of grew. Now, my father, if you ask him, he'll say it comes from him. Because he loves to write. Now I haven't read any of these short stories he talks about, but um, I'll give him his props. Catch
0: gotcha, it, yeah. Catch gotcha. it. You know, sometimes people take offense if you say they're a jack of all trades, mm-hmm. but you know, you wear many hats yeah. and you have many talents. Mm-hmm. If you met me and you heard everything that I do, this mm-hmm. is the one thing that I want you to be take away from that. What would that thing be? <sighs>
1: I don't get offended by Jack or Jill of all trades like some people do. I get offended by Hustler because to me that has a negative connotation. Um, When I think of Hustler, I think of someone who's just like, not really putting a lot of thought or intention towards what they want to do. It's an
0: insult to the craft and a, time Yeah, that put like into I put it. a
1: lot into that. And I know you didn't say that, but I know some no, people no, no. some people say that. Uh, but Jill of all trade or Jack of all trade, I'm good with that. Um, I would probably I gosh, that's really hard. I would say um, historian. I would want to be known as someone who is a thoughtful Uh, critical, well-researched historian.
0: Well, I'm going to put you on the spot since you said historian. Uh And I didn't know you were going to say historian. Full disclosure. Uh Uh, I would love for you to share uh, with myself Mm -hmm. and our audience, what is something that is historical to our region, either Fort Worth or Dallas, Mm -hmm. that most people just don't know about? Oh,
1: wow. So I often talk about Not only on my tours, but also when I do public speaking, Um, I speak frequently about the Freedman Towns that were once a part, a thriving part of Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. And so I would just say that those Freedman Towns, for those who are not familiar, are these communities, these pockets of communities that were created by Or founded, I should say, by formerly enslaved Black people. And so they did this because, you know, communal living was encouraged, but also um, they had to do it at the time because, you know, for a lot of different reasons. But uh, there were 33 in the Dallas Fort Worth area, um, which a lot of people are not familiar with. And so Freedom Colonies is a a name that it became known as uh, specifically in Texas. And uh, yeah, there were quite a few. Now, in Texas in general, there were over 300 of these freedmen towns. And so today, um, even though the majority of them were started around uh, after emancipation, so let's say late 1860s through around 1930 or so, a great deal of them no longer exist, but some of them do.
0: That's good. That's -hmm. good. I'm going to give you my own quick... History. Are you familiar yeah. with the Douglas Community in East Plano?
1: No, I'm not.
0: So the Douglas Community in East Plano. If you're going 75, there's uh-huh. a H E. There's a Home Depot on the right hand side. Uh-huh. Behind it, it's called Douglas Community. It's in Plano East. Okay. Uh, my great grandfather Moose Stimson was the first free slave in Collin County. And he settled in, the, in what's now known as the Douglas Community. And he's playing Plano, there's a park called the Stimson-Drake Park what? that they dedicated to our family because of my great-great-grandfather being the first free slave oh my to God, settle in Collin that's
1: amazing. County. You're a celebrity, No, pie. no, no. no. <laughs> that's amazing. And I and did not know there's that. There's a book
0: and everything about it, so.
1: That's amazing. I'm going to we can swap books then.
0: I'm,
1: <laughs> I'm definitely going to get that book so I can learn more about it, especially with it being so close to Sherman. Yeah. So that's amazing. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. I'm not a historian, but that's that's my I, little part of history that, that I know. That
1: counts. Yeah. yeah.
0: And so, you know, to, and I don't know if it's to giving away, you know, mm-hmm. all your secrets mm-hmm. or anything like that. But I see that you're writing a new book. Oh, uh Low and slow or slow. Oh,
1: no. So that was. (laughs) So that was an article, another article that I had done, and it was tracing the history of barbecue, which I love to talk about. I don't consider myself uh, the authority figure on barbecue because I feel like barbecue, again, is just like. Every week, I feel like my mind is being blown because I'm finding out something new. Um, But that being said, I did really enjoy uh, writing this article for Local Profile Magazine, which is in uh, Plano and North Texas, uh, kind of the Collin County community. Um, So I had fun writing that. So yeah, it's called Low and Slow is the name of the article. And um, yeah, about the history of Texas barbecue.
0: True story mm-hmm. I smoked the brisket On 4th of July Okay And it's I'm kind of rusty It's been a bit yeah. And I always text My former investigator mm-hmm. Shout mm-hmm. out Mark Taylor I hope <laughs> you watch this So you can hear So we always go back and forth uh-huh. And he, he smokes his brisket At mm-hmm. 250, 265 Okay I'm a 225 guy and I know it takes longer, but <laughs> you're, 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 the the <laughs> you're the expert.
1: You're the expert. So whatever Ty says, we're going to go with that because he's going to make me look good on camera. You
0: see, Mark, yes. I'm right.
1: So, so Ty is right, Mark.
0: Yeah. So, you know, and so now you're doing a Ph.D. How did this come about?
1: Oh, wow. So um, I wanted to learn as much as I could about history. Um And I wanted to be considered an authority figure. And so in order to do that, I thought I'm going to need to really devote myself to this craft in in any way possible. And so I had heard a lot about, you know, I I love food history. But I always tell people, although I came through um, studying history by kind of at first focusing on food history, I saw very soon after that you can't study food history without studying what was going on around it. And so that's when I wanted to open it up and study all about history. And so I heard about this magnificent program by way of University of North Texas. And I I applied. And funny story, I applied um, last January. I never heard anything back. And I thought, well, that's embarrassing. I guess I didn't get in, but they didn't even send me a letter <laughs> to tell me I didn't even uh, get in. And so I kind of went on about my business. And um There was probably around August, I think, I was getting ready to go to Galveston on a little quick uh, vacay, weekend getaway. And um, I called in because I thought, you know what? I keep seeing this program and I never heard anything back. Let me just call and see why I didn't get in. And maybe it's something I can work on or just keep applying to. And so because I never take no for an answer. And so that's what I did. I called And they were like, oh, basically, long story short, they had lost my application. And so I had gotten in uh, after they reviewed everything. And they said, yeah, we yeah, you're definitely in. Can you start the next, you know, this fall, which was like two weeks away? And I was like, oh, my God. So at the time, I had already uh, I had gotten a job working for Dallas Historical Society, which was a. they have, they're housed inside of a museum over in Dallas at Fair Park. And that was intentional on my part also. I got a job working for the museum because I wanted to be around history all right. day and get paid for it. And so luckily I had already, I quit that job back in February so that I could devote my time to the tours and the writing and really just lean into my craft. And so it just so happens uh, it was the right time, right time, right place. I had the time available to be a PhD student. You have to go full time. And I was able to do that and also gain a teaching fellowship to kind of help support myself. So that with the writing and the tours, that's uh, how I make my living now. I love it, yeah.
0: Oh, that's good, that's good. You know, you, you have a lot of great things that you're doing and a lot of interesting things as well. Uh, you. know. 40 years from now, when you have this big, you know, retirement party, you you are now the the host of Top Chef, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) how do you want to be remembered?
1: Oh, wow. I want people to say I added a lot of uh, thoughtful and lively discussions to the table um, when it comes to not only food, but history in general. I want them to know that I was a uh, preserver of Black cultural history uh, and Texas cultural history. I, I'm a proud Texan. I'm always saying that and everything, every chance I get. Fifth generation Texan that's something I'm really proud of. And also my Southern heritage. So I just want people to remember that I did everything that I could in order to to preserve those cultures and also to educate. That's good. That's good.
0: But, well, Dia, thank you again thank for you. sitting down and having this conversation with me. It was truly you know inspiring but also now i'm hungry (laughs) uh but thank you again you're so
1: welcome i had i had a great time i had fun
0: (laughs) thanks for watching you can find us anywhere where you find your podcast